Well, the wheel turns no longer. Ollie's wheel. <laughs> Ollie is no longer at the wheel. Last week, I said surely Manchester United couldn't lose to Watford. Not only did they lose, they conceded four goals. Their captain was sent off and their coach was duly removed afterwards. Welcome back to the EPL show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. I'm Nick Hughes and together with Josh Parrish, we will unpack all of the Manchester United, uh, well, fun or, or not fun, can, uh, depending on which side of the coin you sit, uh, as displayed by my attire for the evening. Oh, I, you're I'm, really rubbing it I'm rather today. on one coin and, uh, and Josh is on the other side. Tell me, if Watford are the Hornets, why have they got a moose on their logo? It's a, it's a good question. <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> Uh, but the Watford Mooses. I yeah. just forgot the plural for moose. Uh, the meese? I don't know. Uh, I guess it has to be just moose. Yeah. The Watford moose. The Watford moose. Well, the, uh, and the, the, <laughs> the mascot is the, the hornet as well. It uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't altogether make a great deal of sense. But Neither does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign at Old Trafford. Not at all. Uh, Josh, I think uh, from, a, from a Manchester United fan's point of view, I think the, uh, the loss... Uh, while no one ever really wants to lose, I think this is probably maybe the most joyous loss of uh, of any team's uh, you know fandom this weekend. Sorry, Lockie was just confirming in my ear that the plural of moose is indeed moose. Ah, fantastic! <laughs> thank, thank you, Lockie. Um, I was uh, well, I was nattering on about how Man United fans. Uh, wouldn't have wanted to lose 4-1 to Watford, but given what happened after mm. it, it may, could possibly be uh, the, 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 the most joyous of defeats that Manchester United have ever had. I wish I had that little uh, little piece of audio here. He got the job on a technicality <laughs> from a legend who recommended oh, him. Oh, Andy Tate. <laughs> Can we bring back Andy Tate, please? <laughs> oh, he was made for occasions such as this. <laughs> it was genuinely a disgrace. Like, I, I know that's thrown about a lot, in football circles, particularly English football circles, where they tend to get a little carried away each week on talk sport. But this was genuinely one of the most shambolic performances I've ever seen from a quote-unquote big club. Most of the high-profile big score lines in recent seasons have been against the top clubs. But I guess this is on par with Liverpool's annihilation at the hands of Aston Villa, the 7-2. <laughs> Just from where Watford are in the table and their expectations this season, I mean, they're, they're relegation battlers. Yes, they've started the season pretty well, but it's a newly promoted side to be picked apart in that manner. I mean, at least when Manchester United were running around like headless chooks not knowing what to do, they were, run, they were running around. That was marginally preferable to the limp, listless display uh, at Vicarage Road on the weekend. And Harry Maguire's red card was just the cherry on the cake. Look... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign lasted too long. He's in Manchester United, the longest-serving ever manager to not win a trophy. Wow. And only three managers have won the league uh, in Manchester United's history. Very true. Which is, <laughs> you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, Sir Matt Busby, and some bloke in 1907 that nobody <laughs> remembers the name of, um, but including me, apparently. <laughs> uh, but, you know, still, at least yeah. uh, Louis Van Gaal won an FA Cup. At least Jose Mourinho won a Europa League and a League Cup. Ollie's won nothing, and he's had so many second chances. Second chances, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. Just because he's a club legend doesn't mean, you know, he he has a divine right to continue in the job. 
and his media mates uh, have really prolonged this. I think, mm. uh, honestly, the club is really uh, susceptible to the outside conversation that happens and, and the noise. And the likes of Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand have, I think, a lot to answer for in their part to play saying, you know, we'll never ask to sack a manager because they, they can't bring themselves to turn on their mate. It, it's yeah. over. Well, Rio, it, it was over a long time ago. Rio Ferdinand, of course, did the uh, the famous or infamous, um, you know, whack Manchester the contract United. on the table. I'm back. Ollie's at the wheel, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it's, I mean, that that in itself you feel like is a real sliding doors moment, that PSG tie where it was uh, – was it 2-0 two, two defeat uh, in the home leg and then uh, a 3-1 win away from home uh, was you know a, a fantastic comeback win obviously Marcus Rashford scoring the the late penalty and you you almost feel like looking back at it now that there was an element of you know that alone almost bought Ollie a lot of the the time that he had there were so many moments where you know if I mean, you know, Chelsea acted very quickly on Frank Lampard. Um, if if Liverpool, you feel, had been in, in similar situations, you feel like they would have moved uh, on, on their manager. You know, a 6-1 defeat to Tottenham last year. Uh, a really, I mean, they, they still end up, uh, was it second, I think, in the league last year, but a poor finish to the season. The Liverpool result, really, I, I'm, I'm still and will forever remain staggered how he survived after losing 5-0 at home to Liverpool, you know, regardless of the, 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 the gap between the two mm. teams. Now Manchester United cannot lose five nil at home to Liverpool. That, that for me uh, would be unforgivable. And, you know, there was, there was no way he was, he was staying after a, a four, one defeat to Manchester United. And I think you can only uh, look back and, and have a little bit of a chuckle when you look at the, uh, the final scorer of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign, Donny van der Beek. I think it was on the national curriculum on Sunday that Ante compared it to the, you know, the meme of uh, I turned up at my haters' funeral just to make sure yeah, he was dead. That was that was going around on Twitter. <laughs> they uh, they photoshopped uh, Donny's uh, Donny's head onto onto that gentleman. Uh, look, Vanderbeek's treatment at Old Trafford has has summed up the disconnect of that club between, you know, what, between the recruitment and the management, and the total lack of understanding about. What makes these players good? They're good at signing um, good talents for large sums of money, uh, but they don't seem to know why they're signing them. There's, mm. This is what happens when you have a bunch of bankers in charge of the, the you know, who are the sporting directors. And uh, essentially it comes down to Joel Glazer, whether Ollie stays or leaves, which, I mean, shouldn't be the case. I, having ownership play that active a role, I think, is a mistake. I think it should be outsourced to someone who knows what they're doing. Mm. And Manchester United haven't had clear direction from board level or from, uh, you know, uh, front office level in quite a long time. Uh, but Van der Beek, what made him so good at, at Ajax was his ability to play ahead of the ball and move teams around, essentially. He's, he ghosted into the box unmarked or dragged players out of the way for Frankie de Jong to get himself into one-on-one situations and dribble past people. Basically, he alleviates pressure on the base of your midfield. Can he work as an eight or a six? Maybe. Um, but that's a square peg in a round hole. And signing him when Bruno Fernandes is unquestionably mm. your starting 10, 
is a bit confusing to me. Um, you know, Edwin van der Sar penned this open letter, you know, took out a whole page of a newspaper to say you've got a gem, treat him well, and it's been quite the opposite. Mm. Van der Beek's continual sidelining at Manchester United, and the pattern has sort of continued with Jaden Sancho. You know, he's a player who plays well in combinations. He's not a 1v1, you know, isolate on the wing and, and from a standing side start, take somebody on and dribble past them. He's a player who does well in, in constructed moves and pattern play when he's got players around him to bounce passes off. And at United, you know, it's just been giving the ball, you know, you're the expensive new signing, you figure it out. No overlapping fullback to take a player away yeah. from him. Uh, no centre forward to play the ball into the feet of. Just uh, 1v1 stuff. And United were bailed out so many times by star players like Bruno Fernandes, like Pogba, like Ronaldo of late, doing fantastic individual things to save them in desperate circumstances, to bail them out. And that doesn't speak well of a manager uh, if you're just relying on individual brilliance to save your bacon time and time again. And that's not mm. sustainable for a modern football team. It's it's interesting, the the recruitment conversation. You know, last week we were, were talking a little bit about Chelsea and, and Frank Lampard's reign and how he didn't really want to sign uh, you know, Timo Werner and, and some of the other players that Chelsea brought in and... That the Donny van der Beek one was, uh, I remember when, when he was signed, there was that conversation that, well, great player, but you know, where, 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 where does he go? And, and evidently, where does he go? Because he hasn't, uh, he hasn't really featured for, for Manchester United. Interestingly enough, this morning, he, uh, he goes straight into the, the starting lineup with uh, Michael Carrick in charge, uh, mm. which is an interesting one. We know that Manchester United have, uh, have typically... Uh, preferred uh, the approach of keeping a coach, uh, certainly with David Moyes, they kept him for much of the season, you know, the old give it gigsy to the end of the season. Mm. Um, Mourinho, uh, once he was gone, Oli was brought in initially on an interim basis and then uh, sort of earned the permanent job there. So Michael Carrick has been given, quote-unquote, interim charge at the moment. Mm. He he surely can't be given a, a, a permanent role there, but... I wanted to ask you from certainly as a, as a United fan, because I um, one of my favorite pastimes has become watching uh, the best bits of Mark Goldbridge uh, <laughs> after some of the Manchester United results. Uh, and he he made the point of um, that, you know, Ollie, what did he say? He said Ollie was uh, the head coach, but he was 25 percent of a coaching team mm. and that Michael Carrick, Darren Fletcher and Mike Phelan should have gone with him. Because, and we had this conversation last week uh, surrounding Steven Gerrard. He's brought all his Rangers staff with him to Aston Villa. Um, incidentally, they, of course, picked up their first win on the weekend as well. So what are your thoughts on the direction that United should take with the whole staff? Because, I mean, look, when if or when they do bring a new manager in, it is quite likely that they want to bring in their own staff as well. How long that'll take, I guess we'll see. But, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, a few strands to pick apart there, I think. Uh, one is that the United board and Edward Wood et al., uh, whoever's making the decisions up there, it's very murky, John Murto, whatever, uh, were wholly unprepared to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They didn't even see it coming, which is crazy based on the results. Yeah. But they had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to sign Antonio Conte. They passed it up, said Ole's our man, and he's off to Spurs. Before that, they had an opportunity to sign Thomas Tuchel. They passed it up. He's smashing it with Chelsea. So 
There are various coaches that they could have brought in to radically transform the fortunes of the team, uh, but they passed up that chance because they were still wedded to the idea of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and suddenly two weeks later he's gone. So that shows just a distinct lack of preparation and has led to the situation where it is necessary to put Michael Carrick in for the next game. Because who are they going to sign? Mm. Who are they going to bring in on an interim basis to be the interim for the interim? Which is the, <laughs> which is the situation at the moment. Yeah. They're trying to sign an interim manager. So Carrick is the interim interim, yeah. which is just shows the shambolic nature of that club and bizarre. how it's organized. So bizarre. Uh, it's interesting to me that Solskjaer wasn't taking the training sessions. Uh, it turns out Carrick and, and the coaching staff yeah. were, were running the training. And Ollie was essentially just picking the team. So the only change is is the team that goes out there in the park, which is an important change, obviously, but it's not everything. Uh, Carrick, if he does well, they might fall into the same trap as they did with Ollie, who was a great uh, influence following the toxic uh, nature of the team morale under Jose Mourinho. He was somebody who came in and lifted morale and therefore lifted to performances, but it wasn't mm. sustainable because he clearly just doesn't have the tactical brain for it. Yeah. Uh, Carrick, I'm not sure. I've known nothing about him aside from his record as a coach under Solskjaer, which is probably not fair to judge him on. <laughs> yeah. I did like the changes he made uh, this morning in the Champions League, even if it's still McFred at the base of midfield, but starting Van der Beek, starting Sancho in his, in his preferred position um, and playing Ronaldo initially on a flank, I thought were all positive changes. Of course, Ronaldo's insistence to take up central positions ended up nixing that particular uh, tactical adjustment, but there were still clear, clear problems in the defeat to, to Villarreal. It looked unprepared, unsur- unsurprisingly. Their plan to press Villarreal uh, seemed to have big holes in it, um, namely the, uh, I guess, hesitancy. I, I think, called it cowardice mm. <laughs> on, uh, on my Twitter uh, <laughs> for McFred, uh, that being Fred and Scott McTominay, to both uh, press high up the park on the uh, two midfield players for Valencia, Etienne Capu and, and Danny Parejo. Uh, they didn't have a plan to stop Villarreal playing out from the back and they certainly didn't have a plan to play out themselves. But maybe that will develop under Carrick. I think in the short term, given the position that they've put themselves in, this is, of course, self-sabotage. Putting Carrick as, as the interim boss is the best of a few bad options. I mean, who else are you going to get on the, that kind of notice? No one springs to mind mm. until I can try and prize Maurizio Pochettino from his PSG contract. Yeah, but was, they should never have put themselves in this position in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And, and Zinedine Zidane uh, has uh, rumoured to have, have turned down any approach and said he's not interested in, certainly not interested in being uh, an interim uh, mm. solution. Uh, and I mean, and he doesn't po- speak po- English. Poss- possibly and quite likely not interested in being at Manchester United at all, given sort of the state of things. Uh, above the manager's head. I tell you what, Nick, if they sign Zinedine Zidane, it's only due to Ronaldo's influence. And that means Ronaldo is is the director of football. Yeah, uh, That's the only reason he Big would go LeBron there. James vibes. And, vibes. and I don't see why Zidane, having the immaculate record that he does, basically with all the trophies that he's won, mm. would hitch his wagon to Ronaldo, who's now clearly past his peak. He's got so many limitations and shortcomings. Zidane was able to alleviate some of those, but with one of the best midfields ever assembled in the modern game in Cruz, Modric, Casemiro, and Isco as well when he was playing as a number 10 that one season. 
when they went to a diamond was unbelievable. Benzema is that incorporative striker who does all the little things that Ronaldo doesn't. And Ronaldo on the end of the crosses, on the end of all that output, scoring goals and being the hero and winning them in the Champions League. You know, that was a great formula, but you can't replicate it at United because there is no Casemiro. There is no Luka Modric. So I don't see why he would hitch his wagon to Ronaldo at this point in his career. And I just don't think he's a realistic target to start with because he doesn't speak English. Mm. He's waiting for the France job after the World Cup. Unless Deschamps departs before that, he's going to be France manager. And that makes sense given his, uh, I guess, profile. You know, he's not really a hands-on coach. He's more of a uh, leader who the players respect because of yep. his playing profile. And he doesn't give much away in his press conferences, so it's hard to know how detailed his tactical plan really is. If you're going out to get somebody, you know, of the profile of the other top Premier League managers, they have philosophies, they have systems. Zidane, we don't really know what his preferred style yeah, of football I, is. I remember one of the uh, one of the at home shows that we did. I remember we had a discussion about we we don't actually know whether or not uh, Zidane is actually a good uh, a good manager or not, or whether or not he's just exploited the fact <laughs> that he had Cristiano Ronaldo. Benzema, Gareth Bale, Modric, Cruz, etc. That star-studded team that, of course, uh, won the Champions League three times in a row. So, I mean, we're just going to have to watch this space with United. I mean, it, really, anything could happen. We're, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, Michael Carrick. It really is a, a genuine option at, at this point, certainly looking from the outside. I mean, it's ridiculousness of Steve Bruce throwing his hat in the ring as well. What it, what a redemption arc that would be <laughs> if he imagine. came in and was the the man to turn Manchester United around. That could would be hilarious. Oh. I mean, he did score double figures as a centre back, so maybe he could uh, inspire big Harry Maguire to get mm. pump those rookie numbers up. Yeah, Harry Maguire's ears might be getting <laughs> infected if he keeps having to <laughs> score goals and put his fingers inside <laughs> them to uh to uh, to knock the haters as uh, as I'm sure Roy Keane would love, but uh, looking at other options, obviously Pochettino is contracted at PSG with three of the biggest names in world football. Doesn't seem like he's enjoying it that much. No, and managers don't like, especially managers with uh, a clear kind of vision of of their football and who like to press from the front and have everybody pitch in, like Thomas Tuchel now Pochettino playing at PSG where the players. Don't seem to listen to you. No. It's not that much it's... fun, and Leonardo's always pulling the strings and influencing from above. Uh, Graham Hunter this morning on the stand coverage was absolutely convinced that Pochettino would fall out with Leonardo soon enough and Manchester United would pounce as soon as he gets sacked. Yeah. So, I mean, I would be pleased with that as a United fan. I think Pochettino should have been the manager a long time ago, and it's, it's... it's well overdue. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. I think really the last... Certainly, the last two, maybe the last three uh, vacancies that Manchester United have had, you know, Pochettino has been one of, if not the favourite. And then, you know, for whatever reason, whether it was his loyalty to to Tottenham or um, Daniel Levy's famous uh, stubbornness in uh, in negotiations, just just ask Pep Guardiola what uh, what he thinks uh, <laughs> about uh, dealing with the the Spurs man uh, on that one. But yeah, Pochettino certainly seems to be certainly from. Uh, uh, the the reports that are going around and from a, a genuine um, common sense point of view seems to be uh, the most likely option. But Manchester United did bounce back uh, this morning when you know a loss to Villarreal this morning could have been supremely damaging, uh, but it turns out a win has them qualified uh, for the Champions League knockout stages, which they, of course, didn't achieve uh, last year. 
So Ollie's gone. Uh, they'll have to figure out a way to replace him. But for now, uh, they they are po- well looking positive in the Champions League, moving into the knockout stages. But in Premier League football, they're sitting in eighth. Uh, you know, just a couple of points, uh, a, mm-hmm. a, win, a win away from Southampton in thirteenth, and they're going to uh, going to Chelsea this weekend, which will be interesting enough. Uh, we'll talk about this weekend's Premier League fixtures. Uh, a little later on the other side of the break that we're about to take. Before we do, Nick, can I just add to what I observed this morning? Of course. McTominay and Fred standing next to each other when someone needs to present for the ball, not ideal. <laughs> it it re- represents the kind of delusion in modern coaching between uh, what actually constitutes control and not. Because McFred, uh, the, that, that double pivot there seems to suggest a more solid but defensive base. But all it is is ground coverage. And it means that you lose footing in the match because you can't play out through pressure. It is absolutely puzzling to watch these two bumble about trying to receive the ball. And obviously United need a do-it-all number six, which is hard to find. One of the rarest players in the modern game that can really transform things. A Jorginho type would be absolutely perfect. Uh, But short of that, I think the uh, most sensible uh, adaption is is to go to a 4-3-3 to play Bruno Fernandes and Donny van der Beek as two quote-unquote free number eights and Edinson Cavani up front uh, who can receive the ball with his back to goal and provide that kind of reference point for midfielders who uh, who need a, a target uh, further further forwards or even for centre-backs. I mean, we've seen occasionally, you know, Harry Maguire, as much as he's a, a walking, talking meme these days, <laughs> he does have actually that passing range to find, to punch a pass through and find the centre forward if they're presenting. Ronaldo on the left, Sancho on the right, that's my 11. I don't know if we'll see it. And it would require a little bit more defensive running from Bruno Fernandes. But having been benched, you saw his reaction when he came on the park when he was subbed on. He was pumped up. Mm. He was really raring to go and looking to prove himself, which might be a good thing in terms of, uh, you know, uh, motivating a guy who's been the first name on the team sheet for quite some time. I, I, it can backfire, of course, with a with an ego like Fernandez. He's a big personality, uh, but it looked good. It was, uh, you know, like that bit in The Simpsons. I've been starving him, singing off key. He was he was frothing at the mouth <laughs> like a, one of Chief Wiggum's police dogs. So uh, I enjoy watching him. I enjoy watching Jaden Sancho score his first goal for the club finally yeah, with that pile driver. He was he was magnificent and the best player in the second half. Mm. And, you know, uh, with a few changes in the team, United could quickly turn their fortunes around and then uh, make another mistake in appointing an interim manager permanently. <laughs> we might do this all <laughs> over again. <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, it will be interesting to see what Michael Carrick does. Being a midfielder, whether or not he can uh, impart some of his uh, experience on the midfield. Uh, and just before we head to the break, just to finish off on what you were talking about there, I wanted to read some quotes from uh, from... Uh, Paul Merson, who is, uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously very well known for uh, saying some uh, some odd things on uh, on the television, but um, I thought this was uh, was was quite bang on about Ronaldo. He said, "I feel sorry for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He had a plan at the start of the season, having finished second. He chased Jaden Sancho for a long time, got him in, uh, and he'd given Edinson Cavani another year. And then he said, you could see his plan. You play Cavani every other game. You have Sancho on one side.'" Rashford on the other, you have Mason Greenwood coming in and swapping around. You have pace, power, energy, youth, skill, the lot. And then when that plan changed was when Cristiano Ronaldo came in and Paul Merson hinted that he felt sorry 
uh, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because Ronaldo comes in um, and he said it snowballed from there. Ronaldo, the Ronaldo situation threw it all out the window and I think it's a, it's a very fair point. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think he's still clearly underqualified for the position to begin yeah. with. I think his shortcomings were exposed well before Ronaldo got there. The, the problem for a new manager is dealing with Ronaldo, though. He's as funny as it is to say about a player who scores so many important goals, he's sort of an anchor around the neck of potential incumbent manager, like incoming managers because he is such a big personality. He he is such a uh, complicated uh, – he has a complicated set of attributes and shortcomings to fit into a cohesive modern football team. And in many ways, Messi at Paris Saint-Germain at this stage of his career is the same. Late career Ronaldo is not an easy person to play around. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer clearly was not up to that task, not even close.